Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom, a supplement to our monthly podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. Here we discuss shareholder activism with some of the industry's top experts. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and today we are chatting with Patricia Lenkov, a senior managing director at consultancy firm Teneo. Patricia joined Teneo at the start of the year from Agility Executive Search, an executive search firm where she served as founder and president. During her tenure at Agility, Patricia worked to promote strong corporate governance in the form of board refreshment and diversity. According to Activist Insight Governance, only 25% of all directors for S&P 500 companies were women as of January 1st. An even smaller percentage of women chair S&P 500 boards, representing just 3% of the total. And just 5% of current CEOs in the S&P 500 are female. To solve this problem, institutional investors, proxy advisors, and even state governments are implementing policies that make not having female members a problem for boards. Today, Patricia will tell us why board diversity is important and how the activist community can help promote it. Hi, Patricia. Welcome to the show. Board diversity has become an increasingly popular topic in recent years. Why is it so important to achieve? Well, thank you for having me. I think board diversity is important because diversity in general is important. So it's been proven that diverse groups make better decisions. Boards of directors make decisions on an ongoing basis and having diverse perspectives around the table, looking at problems and questions that boards have to deal with makes for a better decision making process. It's been shown that, you know, for economic and social reasons, it's the right thing to do as well. You get more innovative perspective. And again, it improves the decision-making. Many corporate boards today are still very male-heavy. What are some challenges with finding diverse candidates? You are right. Boards are, in fact, very male-heavy. I think the number in the Fortune 500 is about 80, maybe 79 percent male, 20, 21 percent female. And when you go down into smaller companies, it's actually a lot less women, a lot more men. So uh, we've been talking about the diversity for, for gender diversity for sure for years. It's been a glacially changing process for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, the challenges are a few. So birds of a feather, for example. So we like to be with people who are like us. So that, you know, historically has meant that boards have recruited people that were like them. Men recruited men. Also, you know, historically, we've seen that CEOs were the only ones who were considered, you know, good board directors or appropriate for the board. So women have not been CEOs, and therefore they have not had an opportunity. That's changed now. And it's changed for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that board directorship is a tough job. It requires a lot of uh, energy and a lot of commitment. And as a result, CEOs don't necessarily sit on as well, they definitely don't sit on boards as they used to. So used to be a you could be a sitting CEO of a company and sit on, you know, a couple, two, three outside boards, even more on occasion. And today, the number is zero or one. So CEOs cannot sit on that many outside boards. And therefore, we look for other skill sets, you know, other experiences like finance people, marketing people, etc. So 
um, the other thing that has prevented and has made it difficult for women is there's an idea that to get on a board, you need to already be on a board. It's like a catch-22. So everybody needs to start somewhere and companies need to be willing to look outside, you know, the usual suspects for people who may have less board experience or they may have not-for-profit board experience or advisory board experience to give uh, new people a chance, you know, for a seat at the table. The other thing I'll say is one more reason. Most director appointments are through recommendations. So you have to sort of be known amongst a circle. Actually, only about 30% of board seats are filled through an executive recruiter. So it's usually who do we know? And who we know tends to be people like us and not necessarily diverse. So I know a common solution has been to initiate quotas. Do you think that will drive the diversity we need? So that is a big debate, and I am not 100% sure it's the right thing. I have sort of pros and cons for that. So quotas, and of course, that which gets measured gets changed, and they have been having quotas in Europe for many years. So Norway started in, I think, 2004 and didn't work out exactly as had planned. But I think, you know, the idea of having quotas is coming about because everything else hasn't necessarily worked as well as it should. So we have had in several states in the United States, we've had voluntary quotas that people don't even know existed. So we've talked a lot about the California quota recently because it became law. What people don't realize is California had a soft law or a voluntary quota for the last five years or so, which effectively didn't do much, which is why I think the heat got turned up and they decided to go to a full-blown legal quota with financial you know, payments if you don't comply. So do I think quotas are good? I think it does a disservice to women in some cases because the perception in, in the boardroom can be that you got on because there is a legal quota and you're not really qualified. So that's what happened in Norway. They ended up having to put 40% of women on boards and they didn't necessarily have the pipeline or enough qualified women. So they, because they had a quota, they put on, you know, a ton of women who weren't necessarily completely ready. They called them the golden skirts because they put them on many boards and that sort of backfired because again, they didn't have a pipeline. In the United States, we have definitely a pipeline. There are tons of qualified, ready women. It's not a a supply problem. It's a demand problem. So I think, you know, anything that moves the needle is good. This California situation, the jury is still out as to whether it's going to be a positive thing. At the end of the day, what do you want? You want diversity, which is going to lead to business results. So at the end of the day, the jury's out whether that's actually going to happen or whether there's going to be a lot of fighting and companies may be relocating out of California to avoid this issue. So complicated situation with no easy answer. What are some other solutions that may help increase board diversity? So I think awareness is very important. I think, first of all, I think we need to define diversity um, in, a, in a couple of different ways, because we're talking these days a lot about gender diversity. But of course, we have ethnic diversity that's important. We have age diversity. We have geographic diversity, diversity of experience. Um, and I think the catch-all term that's being used now is cognitive diversity. So at the end of the day, no matter what kind of diversity it is, you want people who think differently in different ways and attack problems you know, in different types of ways by virtue of their whatever the diversity may be. So other ways are, of course, you know, getting it on the agenda. People have to talk about it. They have to become aware that sitting around a table with a board that looks exactly like you does a disservice and sub-optimizes your business. And by the way, is not exactly motivating to your employees or customers. And I think today, customers, of course, institutional investors are far more aware of this and are questioning this. You know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't talk about this. If we talked about diversity, 
university, but it was like lip service. Oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have one, you know. And now we know that one is not enough. One is tends to be viewed as a token and doesn't necessarily make a difference in the way that, you know, the conversation needs to be changed. So I think becoming aware, I think the soft quotas, so the UK has a soft quota. They say it's called the Lord Davies Report, and it came out, I don't know, about five years ago, and it said that 25% of boards in the FTSE 200 had to be women and It created a huge change, and it wasn't a law. It was a request with no consequences. It was a voluntary compliance, or it was actually a comply or explain. And as a result, I don't know exactly the number in the UK now, but it's changed dramatically, so there's far more women on boards uh, than ever. So I think, you know, a couple of different things. I think women also need to advocate for themselves. They need to know that they're deserving of the seat, not all of them, and that's very important because it's not everybody who gets onto a board just because, I like to say, they have a heartbeat. You have to be qualified. You have to be an expert in your field. But I think women also need to step up and figure out how it's done. And it's up to us to learn how to play the game by the rules and make sure that we do get this seat at the table. I know ISS and Glass-Lewis both committed themselves to issuing recommendations based on board diversity. Do you think that will make a difference in the long term? Yes. Yes. Again, that, you know, that which gets measured gets changed. So I think the focus on it and the pressure, you know, certainly from the institutional investors, BlackRock has said that they are voting against companies that don't have two women on the board. So, I mean, all of this is creating a lot of noise um, and a lot of pressure. And it's like the flashlight has been turned on these boardrooms and they're all like, oh my God, now we, we can't sit idle anymore. Because I think they've been aware for a while. This is not completely new. So they've been aware, okay, we need to like, you know, there's the old joke that if Lehman brothers was Lehman sisters, maybe they wouldn't have imploded. So we've been talking about this for years. We haven't felt a compelling need to do much about it. It's like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it eventually. We kick the can down the road and start, you know, if it happens, it happens. But now it's like, you cannot avoid this anymore because so many, there's so many consequences for avoiding, you know, the issue. What about the hashtag me too movement? Has that done anything to propel diversity in the boardroom? Has it changed corporate culture at all? So Me Too has made everybody aware of, you know, an issue that's been around forever. And I think it's made people aware that this behavior is not tolerated. And I think from the board perspective, what has happened, and I um, wrote an article on Me Too in the boardroom and what boards need to do about this. I think because boards are not always diverse and women were in general the victims of, you know, uh, whatever these issues, women may have felt that they didn't have a place to go to report or discuss this because when they look at the top of the organization, it has been, you know, historically primarily men. So when you have a situation where a man has sexually harassed you or worse, it's going to be hard to go talk about this, you know, with the man. So I think boards are now realizing and the conversation is changing where we need to, first of all, we need to pay attention to this because it's a big deal. You know, we talk about like CBS Every day, there's a different situation with a different CEO. And, you know, a lot of them are obviously, you know, very uh, prominent. I mean, CBS was the first Fortune 500 CEO who was involved in a situation like that. So I think the conversation is elevated now because of the consequences. I think it's on the agenda. I think boards are sensitized. Whether they like it or not, it's there and they need to do something about it. And they need to keep their private opinions of whether it's important or not to themselves because it's no longer going to be tolerated. How can activist investors help drive diversity in the boardroom? 
So, of course, activists should and could include women on their slates, and I will say that the best of them do that. So there are those, you know, not all activists are created equal. There are those that realize the value of diversity, whether it be gender or ethnic or even age or geography. They realize that at the end of the day, this means better decision-making and better returns and better results for the company. So as activist investors or any investor, you want what's best for the company at the end of the day. What's going to yield results? The best activist investors realize this and are putting women on boards. I think historically they have not done this. So we can look at, for example, and I don't want to point fingers, but Carl Icahn, I pulled out some numbers that are available publicly as of, this was from 2016, he nominated 42 people to fill 94 board seats at public companies ranging from eBay to Herbalife, and uh, that was in the past five years, um, and not one was a woman. So, you know, that's one extreme. And then there's, of course, others who are doing this regularly and appreciate the value. So I think, you know, as the institutional investors pay more attention and vocalize about this, the activist investors, they want, you know, to get the institutional investors behind them and to agree with their nominees and what they're doing. So they will pay, hopefully, you know, more attention to this. I understand people often throw around the term building the pipeline, but I also know that oftentimes directors will pull from their networks when there's a new spot open on the board. So I'm curious what tips or advice you have for, you know, expanding their network um, and taking from that newly built pipeline. I'll answer that question with a sports analogy, which a lot of people like and could understand better than the board analogy. And I can insert any sport here. So it could be football, whatever, baseball. I'll use baseball. So when the baseball team needs a new first baseman or a pitcher or a catcher insert, whatever position, they don't sit around in the locker room and say, hey, do you know a first baseman? Can you recommend a first baseman? They go out, they hire a scout. The scout goes across the country looking at first base men who will fit this team, you know, the style, whatever the team needs. And they find, and by the way, probably try out many different first basemen before they pick the right one. So they don't sit around and say, hey, you know, your neighbor down the street, I think he's a good first baseman. Let's bring him in, you know. So I think the analogy is the same with the boardroom. I think we need to have a more uh, strategic process-driven recruiting process whereby we don't just sit around and say, who do you know? But we go out and we design and we say, who do we need? Who will be the best person for the job? And how do we find them? Forget about who we know, who we don't know. Hopefully we know them and that's great. But it needs to start out with a definition of skills and experiences. And uh, after that, who's the best person? And it could be you know, man, woman, diversity, whatever it is, who's the best person for this role going forward? Who's going to help the company? By the way, who's the best person this year is not going to be the same as who's the best person in five years because your strategy and your business is evolving and therefore your board needs to evolve as well. So I think we need to start off making it a logical decision rather than an emotional, uh, personal decision, which is often the way we like them, we like him. Okay, we're going to invite him. You know, he's good. I mean, they're qualified to a certain degree. Are they perfect? No. Should we aim for perfection? Why not? Why don't we try to find the very best person who brings all of the skills, qualifications, experiences, who's going to bring us in a different direction, who's going to inspire us and enlighten us in ways that we have not as a board previously been. So I think we need to think more 
thoughtfully and strategically about how the boards are, you know, populated and repopulated rather than just say, oh, it's a seat of the pants kind of exercise. So yeah, and you know, in 30% of the cases, I mean, according to Deloitte or Pricewaterhouse Research, 30% of the cases they do go to search and presumably search does, starts with the blank piece of paper, does an analysis what does the board look like today? Where are they heading? Where are the gaps? And who are the best people to fill in the gaps? So presumably that's what happens in 30% of the cases that we know go to search. But what about the rest? That was Patricia Lenkov, a Senior Managing Director at Teneo. That's it for this episode of the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom. If you would like to join us on a future episode, or if you have any comments or questions, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana Zare. Thanks for listening.